Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. You don't need to be ready a month before. You don't need to even be ready a week before. You'd like to be, but you don't need to be because it's not the race, right? That's not when the date is. You have to be ready the day of. So even when people are asking, hey, are you ready? I'll be ready then. And once that mindset kind of gets in there, that means, look, during the tough period of training, it's going to be okay because you're going to be ready. And you keep reminding yourself of that, right? And I keep reminding myself, look, when that day comes, I'm going to be ready. And sure enough, man, when you start convincing yourself of that and telling yourself that the everything else just falls right into place, I believe. And then that's where like that mental skill of confidence and belief come, come into play. Look, you're going to be ready the day of. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell. That's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L. To this number, 33444. You'll get it downloaded right away. We all know mental health is important, but sometimes it can feel super heavy. Why isn't there a way to improve your mental health and actually have fun doing it? That's where the Happy Brain Podcast can help. In less than 15 minutes, Heather Parody explores outside-the-box ways to not only improve your mental health, but have a freaking great time doing it. Search for the Happy Brain Podcast with Heather Parody today. So this episode of 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, we have a special guest. And that guest is going to be me. We're flipping the roles tonight. You see, we are joined with Will Drumright. Will Drumright is, uh, is a mental coach as well. We've worked together for many years. Fantastic human being, Eagle Scout. He's also the... Uh, head coach of the uh, Indy Alley Cats. And he, he asked me a while ago, Hey Rob, like you should switch this around. Let me interview you. But I didn't really have anything worth of value that I thought I could provide, you know, besides just being a talking head, except Will's going to interview me about the hundred mile trail race that we just finished. And we're going to get, um, going to get in depth with that. And without further ado, flipping this over to you, Will. Dr. Bell, appreciate the opportunity to be able to interview you. This is pretty fun to switch the roles. Um, and I think working together is maybe a little bit of an understatement for, for those not familiar with, with our relationship. You've been my mentor for at least 10 years now. So, um, you know, the fact that I still get to work with you and call you now, a, I guess, a colleague uh, is, a pretty, is a pretty big deal. So I'm pretty honored and privileged to be able to, to pick your brain and what would make you want to run a hundred mile race and some of the lessons that um, you learned along the way and what we could apply it in our own life, in our own races that we have going on. So, well, let's just dive in. So real quickly, talk about the the Indiana Trail Race, the IT100, I believe it's called. Mm -hmm. um, just what was the race? And just tell us about that. Yeah, so the race, the actual format, it was in a, in a state park in northern Indiana, and they actually had like some elevation there. It was um, four 
25 mile loops. And so you started at 6 a.m. Uh, when it was still dark, had a headlamp on and they had a couple of different races that was going on. They had a 50 miler, they had a hundred K and then they had a hundred miler and you had 30 hours to finish. So you had to finish by Sunday at noon. And for those who aren't familiar or don't really follow, like you can do anything you want. You can take a nap, but it's the clock's still running. And so it, uh, it turned out it rained a lot that week. And so the, the course itself was, was pretty muddy. Um, it wasn't going to be unrunnable or anything, but there were a couple of huge water pits that were going to be there that you just couldn't run around. You had to run right through them. And, um, so that was, that was sort of the format of it. And it's, um, you know, the elevation isn't too bad. I mean, it's a pretty fast course. It's probably uh 12,000 total, you know, for the, for the four loops. And, uh, that was the format of it, man. So everything for probably for the past nine months, when it came into training for this and preparing for it, um, the one part that really gets neglected. So like, again, I've done an Ironman, I've done tons of different ultra races, you know, me, I love doing those things. And, Training for an Ironman didn't even really hold a candle to this. And it's not like an Ironman isn't a great race. It's a tough race to do. But the amount of detail that comes into doing this um, was just exponentially harder than, than when Ironman would be. And um, now, obviously, there are people that are Ironman. They're going to be, well, whatever. Yeah, I mean, of course, like those that are going to be like really, really fast and you're trying to improve upon the time. Um but still running the hundred miles, is just one discipline. And so the training log, but just the amount of details that go into every single run and, and, you know, having to recover and rest for it, that that's the part that was, that was probably the hardest. And, and we could always go into the training and everything and the ups and the downs from it, but that that's how the format was. Yeah, no, I, that's interesting that you just said that it's a little bit more detail oriented than say an Ironman. Is that just because, you don't have three events that you have to try to hold together and it's you're you're a singular running just continuously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for like the off days for Ironman training, the off days would be swims, you know? So the off days here are, you know, strength training or um, stretch and stuff like that. But when it came to the actual running, so like it would take, you know, I'm an early morning guy. And so to get to the trail, like at five 30 in the morning, this is what I like to do, man. I just don't like, I'm, I'm not a guy who likes to run with, you know, a whole pack of people at 8am. Like I had to do that a couple of times. And it's fine. But buddy, when you got two kids and life happens, like you kind of want to get done. So I like to be on the trail, like five 30 in the morning when it's still dark. So, I mean, you got to think if, if I'm going to do Hills, like we, we, race like we train. If I'm running on flat ground, that's does not compare to what it's like running on trail. And so 45 minutes to drive, um, and the amount of stuff that you have to have with you, with just your hydration, with your nutrition. And let's just say we're going to be running, you know, 30 miles that day. Um, you know, you don't want to forget extra pair of socks or chafing cream or bug spray. Um, and when you're going to come back around, you know, what, what is all the nutrition, everything you're going to have. So that amount of detail when it comes to it. And then it's just every run, like when I would park and have everything ready to go, it'd still be 20 minutes before you're actually like hitting the trail and running just to have everything there. And that, 
that really doesn't even include like the stretching and stuff like that that goes into it. That's just making sure everything's dialed in and you're prepared and like ready to go. Wow. That is, that is a lot of stuff to have ready to go with it. I mean, things that I, I wouldn't have thought about taking bug spray with me on a run, but it makes sense, especially doing a trail run, you know, the chafing cream and the socks make, make total, total sense. So yeah. how many socks did you pack for the hundred miles? So the hundred miles, um, well, I packed them all. Um, and that was the thing too, right? It's like you, every, every training run, this is where I think it applies to life too, right? Like most of the time during training, you're, you're a scientist, like you're trying things that work and trying things that don't. So like, I'm an ankle sock guy. Like I don't like crew cut, you know, just kind of halfway up on the ankle socks. Like I, I just don't like those. But those became huge because if you get something in that shoe, same thing with like a gator that has to cover the actual shoe. If you get something in there, you got to be able to stop, take the shoe off. And with, with the ankle socks or like the no-show socks, which is I love, well, there's tons of stuff that get in there. And so that's the thing about like life, right? Like you got to be a scientist during this. And um, I kind of uh, forgot the question. I kind of got going on a little tangent there. But uh, what, what was the question again? Well, the question was how many pairs of socks did oh, you pack? Oh, yes. Yeah, so how race? many pairs of socks? Right. So I would I changed into four different pairs like during the race because, like I said, there were huge water puddles you have to run through, and then the blisters became uh, a problem. You know, after mile fifty, it, it's fine like to run through a huge water puddle when you got four miles left, but you know, at mile eight, then when they're soaked, so a lot of friction that's going on there, and um, yeah, so four different pairs. I gotcha. Probably less than what I thought you were going to say, but you know, especially with the water element and the mud element, but we'll get, we'll get into a little bit more of the nuances of the race, but I want to start with why ultras, what is it about an ultra race that really appeals to you? Yeah, man. So, I mean, there's a lot of different factors to it. I mean, so when people ask like the why, I mean, the biggest why, like our why has to make us cry, right? You've heard me say this many times before, if it's not, it's not our why. So obviously the kid, my kids, or a huge why. I want them to see that, look, really anything is possible if you apply your mind to it, if you're going to be disciplined to it. So like discipline and never giving up, Will, those are just basically my biggest strengths. I don't That's probably it, man. You know, everything else, you know, probably okay, but those I can hang my hat on. So, well, what are activities that are going to reward discipline and never giving up? Well, you know, ultras, right? Like hard stuff. Um, and so I like to do things that are going to be difficult. And like I said, like, you know, before, when I was kind of doing the write-up on this, like, it's not every day that you get to do something that you're never going to forget. And, you know, the preparation that goes into this is, is fun to me. Um, I would say I I learned in this, like before the training started, I would always say, even if it's a bad run, like it's still pretty good, you know, because I still feel good. If I play a bad round of golf, that kind of going to stick with me for a while, you know, because there's no outlet there. But, you know, being an addictive mindset like I am, man, and, you know, I have to get out and get after it. But after this training period, yeah, there were a lot of times I was like, boy, that was not any fun. I really don't feel better from that. I feel worse. So that that part kind of changed. But that's the why from it, man, is I like to, and I think we all need to do that, man, and find out what is it that we're really good at and then pursue that, apply that to whatever the discipline is going to be. And when we do that, that's where I think then 
you know, we, we become the best version of ourselves. Yeah, I really like that. And, you know, it's something that I've never even asked you as, you know, a, a colleague or coworker or you just say friend, you know, man, friend. Yeah, we are friends. Right. And kind of like understanding that, but knowing how the discipline, I think with the preparation of being able to not only get up and do the runs, even on the hard days, but the discipline of the preparation forces you to never give up because it sounds like if you give up, it's because you weren't prepared or you weren't disciplined in those, in a couple of different arenas. Yeah. I, I agree with like the Dante quote here. And it's like, the harder you work, the tougher it is to surrender. I like that. And that, that actually kind of leads me, that leads me into the next question pretty well uh, with, which is, you know, you mentioned in a newsletter that went out, I believe it was, it was right before the race and which one, if you aren't subscribed to the newsletter, make sure you go to the website, drrebbell.com, sign up for the website or the, excuse me, the newsletter. There's your plug for you, nice. doc. And, uh, but going into the, going into the race, you said your mentality was quote, simple, but not easy mm -hmm. finish or die. And I, I love that because it's a very Spartan warrior esque statement, similar to come back with your shield or on it. So how did you maintain this mentality, both in training and the race? It's a good point, right? So it's like, because again, I'm a simple as powerful kind of guy. Um, and that that was simply, it was going to be it. It was like, look, the day of the race, I will be ready. The training for this was not all roses. I mean, it was very, very difficult. There's a lot of, I, th I think the training was probably worse. There was really only a stretch of like five weeks where it was like pretty good. But the overall mentality, I think when it comes to training or prepping for an event, and this is the thing that I think applies to everyone, right? Is all you have to do is be ready the day of. You don't need to be ready a month before. You don't need to even be ready a week before. You'd like to be, but you don't need to be because it's not the race, right? That's not when the date is. You have to be ready the day of. So even when people are asking, hey, are you ready? I'll be ready then. And once that mindset kind of gets in there, that means look, during the tough period of training, it's going to be okay because you're going to be ready. And you keep reminding yourself of that, right? And I keep reminding myself, look, and when that day comes, I'm going to be ready. And sure enough, man, when you start convincing yourself of that and telling yourself that, the everything else just falls right into place, I believe. And then that's where like that mental skill of confidence and belief come, come into play. Look, you're going to be ready the day of. And that's that's when it matters. So being able to do that in training, you know, sometimes the easy part about training, the easy thing to do that doesn't help you get better is when you have an idea in your head, like, all right, man, this is going to be, we're going to, we're going to run 26 today. And well, you know, sometimes it's tough to kind of create that sort of mileage, you know I mean? Cause there's, if it's loops, great. You know, there's not gonna be any fake in that, but sometimes it's like, well, you turn left here and then you're going to, you're going to go down this trail and then back this and it's not enough. Optimized. So now you got 24 miles. In. Then it's a decision, right? It's like, all right, man, do I head back out for another mile and then come back? And then that's where, you know, the callus of the mind comes into play. That's where the discipline really comes into play. Cause we did 24 difference between 24 and 26, nothing really physically, but do you really want to head back out just to make sure that mileage is in there? So it's not every time I would do that, but it's the small things like that to add up to when you do that, you're not allowing yourself any out and you're always going to get back to that point. Look, man, I, I went back out for these runs, you know, I didn't cut it short at 28. I went for 30. 
Um, and then that's, the, you know, the mentality starts to sit in when, when we don't allow ourselves that out. Yeah. And it, it gets back to, again, the discipline, those decisions of, you know, what are you going to be doing uh, every day to go through that? So you, you said maybe five, five good weeks of training out of the whole experience. I think so, ma'am. So how many, how many weeks was training? So this one was really difficult because like in the race was supposed to be in 2020. So I mean, there was some training in there. It's not like I was never to the couch, you know, but, um, boy, man, I mean, I would say, uh, six, nine months, probably, probably nine months of training in there. If the race was going to be in October. Then say we got really serious about it in March. So seven months or so. But but even then, man, it was probably, you know, April kind of really started with, with its extreme amount of focus. And the problem was the reason why there wasn't such good training is because, you know, I just still could not figure out the hydration piece. How to get a coach, um, Jenna Stragland, who's, uh, you know, works with uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. She became, you know, my nutritionist. We dialed everything in in terms of what I needed to do. And there were 16 different marathons that had to take place throughout like the training six uh, marathon or more. Some of them are back to back. So 16 of them, 13 of them. Well, I puked 13, 13 out of 16. There were only three runs, man, that where I did not throw up, but that equates then to the race is because I knew when I threw up at mile 45 for the race again, buddy, I wrote the book, right? Puke and rally, man. I didn't <laughs> want it to be a scarlet letter. Right. It is. It's like, um, when I threw up at mile 45, I knew then what I was kind of dealing with and I was able to handle it and combat it just because the training was, um, you know, wasn't bad, you know, and I, it's not like I would have written it that way. I would have wanted like, yeah, man, crushed 26 miles, not a problem. Great. Let's do it again tomorrow. Great. But a lot of times I mean, there's a lot of doubt and frustration and, and trying to figure this thing out. And the worst part was, um, coming off a, a bad, like week of training was all right, man, Rob, you're going to test yourself. You're going to do 50 miles. Cause I've already done a 50 mile before I knew what it was. Um, you know, an out and it was an out and back, you know, 26 down, 25 down, 25 back. And, uh, I buddy, I made it 31 miles, you know, because of humidity and didn't have my hydration down, you know, I was throwing up and I didn't feel like, and I don't think I could have, I don't think I could have walked another 20 miles that day, but that was the lowest point. Will because, it was from that I was really questioning, man, do, am I really able to do this? Like, why are you going to do a hundred miles, buddy? You can't make it a third, right? That's, that's when the mental game really starts to come to play. And where's the puke and rally, man? Like, where's, where's the, you puke, but where's the rally? And the rally only came back where it was the next day when I was able to run, you know, I think 18. And it was like, okay, we're able to at least come back from that. Let's reevaluate, set another goal. And, you're not going to drop out, but I mean, it, it got that bad. Wow. Yeah. And just even thinking that you got to 31 miles and then, and then having that doubt creep in, even though most people are like, Hey, 31 miles, that's an accomplishment. But in the perspective of what you were training for, I mean, that, that is a failure. So was that, was that what a bad week or a bad day of training would look like when, when maybe, you know, when that, that experiment as a scientist didn't work? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. When, when it was like, you know, this is the goal to do and the goal doesn't get reached. Um, or, you know, the other, the mileage gets reached. It was, you know, you had to run a 50 K 31 miles it's through elevation and, you know, throw up with a couple of miles left. But like when, when you're going to throw up, the body starts shutting down way before that. So it's like, it's just a lot of walking and, and frustration and like, man, I should be running here. And what, what kicks in the mind, right? Rob, you're a third of the way. You're not even a third of the way. How are you possibly going to be running this three more times? But then it gets back to the base of I'll be ready when that day comes, right? We're still figuring stuff out. Yeah, I really like that as a mantra. I'll be ready when that when that day comes. That's that's a great thing to hold on to. I do want to get to the actual puking that occurred during the race, and you alluded to it at mile 45. Yeah. And then the rally that goes from there. But on those training days, when you have a, a puke day, whether you actually puke or you don't hit your goal or you go from there and that next day waking up, what, what do you think it takes to rally or to show up for that, that rally that next day? I think, um, so if, if there's a good training day, th this one was like really on early on in, in my life, you know, marathons and stuff like that. I felt it was important after the long day. So you do an 18 mile run. I always felt it was important the next day. You got to do something right. Four or five, because that's the day where you just don't want to do anything. And so for this, if you put in a, put in a really good day, if it was going to be 31 miles, the tendency would be, okay, man, well, next day, you know, you can take off. Makes sense. Right. If there were good days, that would happen. If there were bad days, then I just would not allow myself that out. I said, no, nope, you're going to do something, whether it's five miles or six miles. And the fact of just getting back out there, it's like, you know, a boxer. I remember talking to this boxing coach, Will, and he said, I asked, I was like, how do you know like a boxer's mentally tough? He says, when they, when you get the shit kicked out of you and they show up the next day, that's what I think, that's what I thought was important. So that, that was how you just got back to rallying, man, just show back up. Yeah. And so it's, I'm glad to hear that sometimes it is that simple, but you know, simple doesn't mean easy. Something you and I have talked about a whole lot. So I think that that's, that's a big piece to, to always remember. Hey there, good looking. If you're digging this podcast and you're going to love our brand new book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback. It's about the comeback. Check it out wherever books are sold. And now back to the show. So, all right, let's get to the actual puking in the race. So mile mm -hmm. 45, you puke. Yeah. Um, you said you rallied at mile 55. Mm -hmm. That's a 10 mile gap. And in the, literally in the, in the middle of the race. So what was that 10 mile process or that time like? So again, it's, um, you know, probably about eight miles before mile 45, like the body starts just to go into like mild shutdown, right? It's like, man, it's just not feeling good. And, you know, I got it. I know I have to throw up, but it's like, I, you want to chew it back. You don't want it to come out. I can't make myself throw up. I'm not like that. So mile 45. And, you know, I remember sitting there like at the aid station telling the people, you know, I just need to throw up. I want to throw up. And, and, um, and then I, I went off back out three miles from, you know, mile 50 and, um, or five miles from mile 50. 
And uh, I have like a tum, you know, I have tums. And so I ate one of those. And right when I ate that, right when that thing hit my mouth, bam, then I threw up. And I always feel better. You always feel better right after you throw up. So then what, what I was struggling with was there's two types of, of throwing up. One where I've thrown up and I'll feel better for a little bit. We all feel better for a little bit, but then I'm still not right because I'm dehydrated and then I'm going to throw up again. So like, for instance, and in one of those training runs at the actual race course that I did, it was horrible, Will. I mean, I threw up and then I, you know, finished the run and then I threw up before I left. And then on the way home, you know, I had to stop and, and puke again. And I just wasn't right for like five hours after that. So if that was what I was going to be facing, that was going to be a problem. But because my hydration was well, because it was good, I was able to kind of keep moving. I just didn't know if I was going to throw up again. And then, you know, but I didn't have like the calories and everything to kind of maintain it. So it's like when I came in for the start finish, I wanted 10 minutes. I was like, I need 10 minutes here. Let's again, change socks, lube up, um, rehydrate in terms of what I need. And then we're going to go. That turned into 30 minutes, just like that. 30 minutes, man, of sitting there. And the only reason why I know is because I'm looking at the the clock, right? the clock that doesn't <laughs> stop, man. And it's going and it's like, it turns into 30 minutes. And I'm like, 30 minutes. How could that be 30 minutes? And it's because I'm fighting that battle of not wanting to eat anything or drink anything, knowing that I need it, but I don't want to throw up again. And um, yeah, it wasn't until I hit the trail again and got going and now it's nighttime and I was able to get like chicken noodle soup as well as I was able to have. So I was able to drink that broth and then throw those noodle down. And that was enough to kind of keep it going. Then at 55, that's when I started to get like that second wind. And, you know, then I was able to kind of jog a little bit more and walk, but that whole thing added a couple of hours to it. Jeez. Now is chicken noodle soup, something you packed or is that something that no, they, they had, had the there? stations? Yeah. The IT 100 is, wow. is oh, the volunteers that were great. And that's what they had. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause I was going to say, that's something you packed that is going on my list of things I would have never considered Tums and, you know, <laughs> chicken noodle soup, but that makes sense. Cause again, you know, that seems like the, the old school remedy of if you aren't feeling good, Hey, chicken noodle soup, just to be able to get that broth and even those noodles in you. Yeah. And it's but, got the sodium in there. So, yeah. 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 And then in the midst of that, you just had a 30 minute break of just like, I need to get going and going mm -hmm. and going from there. That would just seems like that would just be one of the more difficult pieces to get, to get back up from is that, that 30 minute window to like, all right, get the body moving again. Did you tighten up at all? Or did you have to maintain stretching or moving or was it recovery? Oh, man, it's really tough. Um, you know, I've, the video will be coming out about it. So I know he's got that. I don't quite remember, man. There wasn't a lot of stretching. Fair. You know, I tried, but I remember just sitting there and I remember my son Porter was there and he gets grossed out when I'm, because I, I didn't know I was going to throw up again. I'm waiting to throw up and it just wasn't going to happen. Um, so I think there was just a lot of, we're, we're, we're trying to throw it in neutral here and see what, what we're dealing with. Mm. Yeah, it's, Makes sense that you, that that time of the race maybe wouldn't have been totally clear. Yeah, to understand. Yeah, it's, it's, ter it's turning dark, and you know I got to make sure. Then, all right, man, we got the headlamp and everything I need for the next twenty five miles. I remember it was like I left without a jacket, and then a 
kind of ran back and said, no, 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 I need a jacket. And so then I put the jacket on and was running with the jacket and then I'm hot. So I take the jacket off and tie it around my waist. Why it, it's pretty neat because where it's at, you see everybody again, just three miles out. Sounds like it's pretty close, but you know, it's 45 minutes later. I handed the jacket back to, um, you know, my crew because it was hot. I didn't need it. You know what I mean? So there's that type of thinking like, you know, where am I exactly at here? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. A lot of ups and downs in that period of time. And, it, and mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense with what your body was going through and the the willingness and the resolve to, you know, keep, keep going and getting, getting yourself going, especially with the uncertainty of knowing whether you're going to puke or not and, and right. sitting there, that's its own battle. Right. And that, that was the tough. And that's what we have to keep getting back to. Right. It was like, if I'm going to be dealing with multiple puke um, situations here, multiple wretches, then that's a dangerous spot to be in. You know, I can deal with one, but if I'm dealing with a couple, that means your hydration is off and now, now it's, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. And then, yeah, like you said, it gets dangerous really quickly when that, mm-hmm. especially in that type of environment, for sure. So you, you just mentioned your crew, right? Yeah. Referen- like we're referencing another one of your books. No one gets there alone. I know you had a crew there. You had some pacers. Yeah. You talked about your nutritionist. So what was the, what was the importance of having, you know, those pacers with you during, during the race? Yeah. So you can have a pacer from mile 50 on and, uh, um, it was, it was a guy, Joe, that, uh, that I run with, um, you know, on occasion and we kind of work out together, but you know, he's run trails and having him join me was, was fantastic. Um, just because it kind of just gets you out of your own head, you know, you know, we can set little goals together. All right, man, we're going to run. Um, let's, let's see how well we can do here in this, this stretch. And then, um, he ended up running like the whole loop he was just going to do like half of it, but he ended up doing the whole loop of 25 miles. Now, the thing was, is he, he started to hurt and I started to feel better. And so like, you know, probably like seven, eight miles, like from the finish, he started to slow down. I'm, I'm ahead of him kind of looking back and making sure he's okay. And then the last aid station again, he was like, man, just go ahead. And I did, I didn't see him again, man. It was like, but I was like, you sure you're all right, ma'am? Because I, I kind of got to go. But it, we kind of joked about it later. You know what I mean? It was like, uh, he wasn't really ready for to run 25, but ended up doing it. It was, it was huge. It was great to have him there because in the middle of the night, you know, it's fun running in the dark for a few hours, but it was 12 hours in the dark. And then my other pacer, uh, Jason Smith, who joined me for the fourth loop. And here's an instance. So coming in at the second loop, it was 30 minutes there at the start finish. The last time I came in, because I knew, look, you just got to get out for the, and it was 2.30, something like that. 2.30 in the morning. 2.30 in the morning. And I, I've, my, that whole transition took four minutes. You know, it was just like all the other stops, four minutes, man. And I'm back out there because I was feeling better and I was feeling fine. And that fourth loop ended up being faster than the second or third. Wow. That is a, that is a strong finish. Yeah, yeah, right. that's great, man. Elongated kick. Holy cow. So, yeah, you were feeling it. Well, and, you know, you um, you mentioned as well that, you know, the other day that you felt better at mile 76 than you did 26. Yeah, that's right. Is that, I mean, and, and, I mean, it sounds it sounds well, like 20, it, well, 76, then like 46, 46, 20, 26 is still pretty fresh. Right. Which again, it's, we're using miles, not minutes. And, you know, right. we're talking about feeling that of like kind of building, building that. Right. I think that's great. Right. What so would you, like, 
well, what's, what's the lesson that translates into life, right? It's like, look, if you stay in it long enough, we're all going to get that second win, man. And that's what's important. We're all, always going to get that second win. It's guaranteed that we get it if we stay in it long enough. Yeah. And you beat me right to the punch right there where I'm saying, hey, what's the biggest difference between 76 and say 46 is that you stayed in it long enough to get to that second win to be okay. Like persevere and, and being able to push through. Yeah. So jumping, jumping back a little bit back to the, the, I think this is a unique concept of the idea of no one gets there alone, which is the idea of you're a talker on the course, which to me is impressive that you even have the presence of mind to want to talk to people or encourage them while you're running this race. What, where does that fall in terms of your, your game plan or your strategy for a race like that? Or how does that keep you going? I think like, especially in these kind of races, I think when people are doing hard stuff, it's the easiest to like love on other people. And there's some people of men that just like listen to music and their heads down and they just kind of go. And that's not me at all, man. I just want to check in with somebody and see how they're doing and you know, what's going on. And, um, you know, I don't like it when people pass me and they're doing that stuff, but I still kind of engage with them. You know what I mean? And the only reason why I don't like it is because my competitor kind of kicks in. I'm like, damn, man, I can't keep that. <laughs> but, uh, that's great. But, you know, I mean, I just think it's like um, any kind of word and encouragement that you can kind of, you know, help somebody. And you don't know the impact that, you know, you're going to make, you know, hopefully you can. But um, I think that's that's just the point, man, of just being able to love on one another and however that kind of looks like in, in those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, and especially even when it's a training run, Will. There's, right. I have my favorite type of people that I run into and that's people that kind of wave back or say hi or acknowledge. And then it's everybody else. That just don't <laughs> make any sense. I'm like, you know, we're out here. Why are you not going to wave back or initiate something, you know? Right. That's just not me. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense with the unexpected impact. You don't know what that impact is going to mean to somebody. And obviously from your, your bike story, the unexpected impact that, mm-hmm. that that had on you and what's what that set you on with you, with your journey with this, I think is, that's great. So yeah, that's, that's fascinating right there, I think. So are there any unexpected takeaways from this experience of either training or just even running this race? So, I mean, there were a couple, you know, and, and you, I'll mention like the first one, the second one, then you got to remind me about, right. It was like, well, what was the best part? Cause there are two best parts, but the one um, piece that was fascinating was again, like I said, there were 50 milers that were running along the same. So they just had to do two loops and I'd encounter some 50 milers. Like when they're, you know, we're kind of all running together. And when I see them, you know, and there's a couple miles left, we're kind of just all bringing it in. This is after I threw up, mind you. Oh boy. They're saying, boy, I can't wait. I'm done. You know, I'm done. I'm, I'm can't wait for that burger. They're gonna have that brew or whatever. And when that that started to sit in this my mind a little bit, thinking then, by Rob, you're not even halfway yet. Then that became really, really difficult, you know, because it's like these people are talking about how they're done and I'm not even halfway yet. Um, the other thing that was interesting is like running along and, um, you know, again, talking with people. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And, and people would pretty much tell you like they're done. And they were going to quit, like they were going to drop. And you already knew it. They already had it made up in their mind that uh, that it, that they were done. 
And so that was, that was what was really surprising, you know, and it, even though I'm a talker, I like to help, I couldn't spend too much time with that because that sort of negativity can kind of creep into the legs and you just got to, got to dismiss it. And then to use that even as fuel to keep going and, and to get better. Mm-hmm. Cause you ain't going to quit Rob. That was the voice then. Right. Yeah. You've got to have that voice really pushing you to be able to continue and to continue to work back, even fighting that negativity back. And so that was the thing. It's like, if you, if people, and I'm not talking about like the people who are winning these races, right? I mean, the people that are winning these races are, you know, highly trained, they're professionals, they're getting paid something. But so I'm not talking about those type of mentality, but the mentality that going into this is you, you're going to finish this race or you're going to die, right? There is no quit in this. There's not going to be a quit. If, if somebody went in with a different kind of mentality, like we're going to see how it goes, they never made it. And I don't believe they made it because there's bad stuff was going to happen along this that it was going to be too difficult to overcome. So if there was that ambiguity of a mindset going in, it was never going to work. Yeah, it doesn't seem like something where it's just, well, let's just see what happens. You don't wake up and, and, and want to go through and do that kind of that reckless approach, especially to a race like that. And you're talking about the details and the discipline that go into the training, but then also the demands of what 100 miles is on your body and everything yeah. going in from that. So you alluded to, you said there are two best parts. Oh, you yeah. Said, yeah. So what's the, what's the second so one? One of the best parts, uh, there's a, a husband and wife, right? Uh, Searball. Kelly Searball, Ashley Searball, hopefully they'll listen to them. They're fantastic people. I mean, these are the people that just pour life into others. And they had a tragedy that happened several years ago that their daughter um, was killed in a car accident. And, you know, they had a documentary on them. I'll, I'll probably put the link on there, but they had a documentary that was on them. So I got to watch it and, and it's fantastic, but it goes really into detail, you know, and that's the tragedies that happen in our life, right? They're hinge moments because from that moment on, everything's different, but man, these are, these are soul filled people. And I got to see them at uh, every eight at the aid station, like halfway. And they've, they worked the whole, whole race. Well, with 13 miles to go, uh, Kelly Searball asked me, well, Ashley, his wife asked me, um, you know, do you want me to run with you? And Kelly was right there. And, you know, I said, well, sure. And Kelly hops on and he joins me for those 13 miles. And it was, it was just special because, you know, it was unexpected. You know, he got to uh, push me. I mean, he's, he's a stud runner. Uh, she is as well, but just running with them and to be able to kind of chat with them and, um, you know, man, I ask him about the daughter, you know, I ask him about the best parts, you know, I ask him how, you know, it channels into the running stuff like that. That was fantastic. And we, you know, my watch died, my phone died. He didn't have one on him. So we weren't quite aware of like the time. And he was telling me a story about, and I was sharing him with, you know, an Ironman story and 50 mile story about, he was sharing with me a story about one of, uh, uh, he was pacing somebody who was doing really well, you know, better than expected. And so when you do, when you're better than expected, right, you set another goal. And so the guy that he was running with at that time, like didn't really buy into it. You know what I mean? So it's like, he was going to run sub 24, but the guy just didn't have it in his mind. So he kind of limped into the finish, meaning like, you know, he stopped and kind of took his time and he finished like 24 or one. 
right? Which is great, but there become these invisible barriers. And so, you know, I, we started talking like, man, well, let's, let's see if we can get under sub 29, Rob. And not knowing where the time was, the very last aid station had 45 minutes to make it in. It was three miles. Um, and with that three miles, you know, I was like, we, we gotta, you gotta push it. Be in the skin. It's not like, I mean, a regular three mile run, right? A little 5K <laughs> would be not a problem, man. 45 minutes. Right. But after you've run 97, um, with blisters on the feet, you got to make sure you power the uphills and still run the downhills. And he was with me for it. And it was really cool. So, and this was the second best part. So not knowing where we were a half mile from the finish, um, and you know, all the feelings are coming, right? Like you're going to finish, man, who's going to do it. It's awesome. It's great. I asked somebody, what time is it? What's, what's exact time? I remember saying it and the guy looked and said, it's 1054 half mile from the finish thereabouts. And I emptied the bucket. Well, everything I had in there, man, I sprinted to that finish because I wanted to get sub 29. And that was the best part, man. I come down the hill and uh, I'm looking at the clock and it, you know, I got plenty of time and I've got, it's 28, 59, like 20. And uh, the reason why I had enough time, because I wanted my kids to run along, run across the finish with me. So they, I waited for them. They both kind of ran up, held their hands and ran across at like, you know, 37. And that was the best part, man, to be able to empty the bucket because then it got back into the training man. all the training that we did, not taking any shortcuts, making sure that you finish those runs strong. And, uh, you know, it was an invisible barrier, but it was a barrier. And it's not around 29. It was sub 29. That's why I was kind of, uh, that was the second best part, man. And then wow. just being with, being with my kids and seeing them. Yeah. Wow. I I'm kind of getting goosebumps like like listening to that about like the, you know, the relationship and bond created really kind of on that course and being able to find that extra wind to, to push it in that last kick of saying, no, this is, this is the line I'm going through and do this. And then being able to finish with Ryan and Porter, your kids, yeah. I think is such a, such a beautiful and like culmination of that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was great, man. And, and you know, that's the thing, right? It's like without him telling me that story about his buddy, what, what I've still been as, as geeked in to do it. You know what I mean? Cause when he's telling me that story and I'm sharing a story about finishing sub 10 at like JFK 50 miler. Um, well, yeah, man, we got to, let's run it here. You know what I mean? Let's, let's start picking some short-term goals and going after it instead of just limping into that finish, whatever we got left, man, we can do it. Yeah. Being able and then, yeah, just being able to feel comfortable and man, emptying the tank when you have blisters and like 97 miles in, like I can't imagine the, what that really took. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, and this is the tough thing, but especially like in the races, I remember like learning early on, it's like, um, you know, you don't want to look behind you because somebody might be gaining. I don't know. This doesn't matter if it's 5k or 10k, right? But you pick that person right in front of you and you pick them off and then you pick the next person, you pick them off and you don't walk by them. You run by them, you sprint by them. And it's always finishing those races as strong as you can. And that's, you just empty the bucket, whatever is left. You know, yeah, and that's and that becomes the the best part. Yeah, well, geez, after after a hundred miles, I can't imagine there's much in the bucket, but the fact that you emptied it, I think is, <laughs> I think is what is what counts right there. <laughs> yeah, well, 
again, we'll see when that video comes out, man. Cause I know he got that done. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. Awesome to watch. So, uh, with that, so, uh, you know, with that, I mean, I, I think really what's next, what's the next challenge? Yeah. I'm still thinking about that, man. I'm not quite sure right now. It's still rest, you know, and I'm, I'm always kind of back after it, but we'll see, man. I mean, it, uh, the interesting thing is no matter like what we do in life, right? Even to get a big contract, get a big payday, finish a great race, win a great race. We always return to the baseline and that mm-hmm. baseline always returns to, well, whatever type of person we were before. And that's why the preparation is so much more important than the product, man. The process is more important than the product. So it's, it's just going back to what is that process that, that I want to devote to and put myself into and whether that's, you know, age group and some 50 K's, um, you know, maybe it's just golf with the sun. You know, I always say like life's a mystery, right? We don't know how it's going to turn out, but, um, right. but we got the idea for the book and the book's going to be, you know, coming next year. So that'll be next. So gotcha. that's what's coming up. And that's its own race of its own kind. Put yeah, that's in, right. Put in pen to paper. We're typing out, typing out those words. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah. So, so, so like, got, well, when your, your challenge, right? So I mean, with 75 hard, what was the biggest lesson takeaway that you took from that? Yeah. Um, so 75 hard, I think the biggest, there were two lessons that really stuck out with, with that. So sticking to a discipline program for 75 days to, you know, kind of improve your, your wellness. I was in a place where I needed it. Um, uh, one with discipline, you do have so much more time. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm quoting Jocko Willing when I say discipline equals freedom, but I found that I found time to do everything I needed to do and still get in all of my requirements for that. And some days I had time left over. Um, and then to, to actually what you said right there, I think was that like we returned to baseline mm-hmm. because day 76 happened. And like, I woke up and I was looking around, like I have freedom. Like now what do I do with that? And so I, and, and I actually struggled with that. Like, you know, kind of immediately kind of following it and, and understanding it's like, Oh, this is why these habits are important. This is why having these things in place, the, that, that discipline to, you know, be able to arrive to, you know, the trail 20 minutes early and, you know, pack all of these things to have everything dialed in to be able to go through and do that. And so those were, those are the two challenges that really, that really have stuck with me ever since going through that program and have and been able to use that in, in other aspects. I love it, man. So, yeah, well, Dr. Bell, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to come on to your podcast to interview you, flip the script. I think this is awesome. And, you know, I, you know, I learned something every time we talk and, you know, I have the privilege to be able to, you know, pick up the phone and talk with you almost every day. Um, and so I think that being able to share these lessons uh, from the the IT 100 is, is incredible. Is there any, is there any final takeaway that you want to leave us with, with this race or anything else that maybe you have, that you want to share? You know, where I am on, on goals, right. And, you know, I make fun <laughs> of goal setting because I'm not yeah. a big goal setting guy. I think you got to have a vision. You got to know where it was you want to go. And this really illuminated that. And the reason why is because when I think about a hundred mile run, now I really think about it. It's like, wow, that's really a far away. You know, <laughs> it is. That's far. Right. 
But in the race, I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't counting this off, all right, we're mile 36, now we're mile 37. I wasn't counting the miles. I was right. just focused just on this section. And when it was just this section, that's what we got to do, man. We got to focus on what, what is, what's important this week? What do I need to do today? And you keep that front and center and what's first and foremost, everything else takes care of itself, man. I love it. That's a, that's a huge takeaway that we all want to do. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it's a great way, great way to uh, wrap this up. So like I said, I really appreciate the time. Hopefully we got to all the questions that people wanted to hear. Great and job, that, Will. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you. So it's a lot of fun. So, um, so yeah, until next time. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.